Here we are. We are live. Episode 187. Uh, been a bit of a break, fellas. Uh, two, three weeks, feels like. Um, so welcome back. Uh, you are now probably, if you're an Albion fan, which I suspect all of you are, uh, are about to listen to the 19th separate podcast or rendition of who Roberto De Zerbi is. Uh, but it would be remiss of us not to at least throw our hats in the ring, giving you a little bit of uh, background on the fella. So uh, welcome. Adam, Craig, how are you? <laughs> yeah, I've been better, but yeah, yeah, I just, I just, I've, I've decided to join the ranks of the people that wants to participate in the uh, the pandemic. So uh, yeah, if I sound crap on today's pod, that's that's why I'm at the, I'm at the tail end of the uh, the COVID that, that comes for us all. But yeah, outside of that, wonderful, everything's great. <laughs> yeah, all, yeah, all good this side as well. Um, ready to get into some RDZ ball. I enjoy that you decided to get uh, the 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 old COVIDs um, right as the new booster was coming out. So you decided, nah, I'll just I'll just get natural immunity this time. No, well, <laughs> Joe Biden told me the pandemic's <laughs> over, so I walked out of my house and immediately came down with COVID. So uh, I'm not quite sure what happened there, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that'll do it. Um, all right, so let's talk uh, Roberto De Zerbi, shall we? Um, so. This one, uh, this pod, uh, is going to be a little different to the way we usually uh, do it because we've actually probably got some pretty detailed notes, uh, so that makes a nice change considering that we usually go live right after games and just kind of wing it half the time. Um, so the structure is probably going to look a little something like this. Uh, we'll start with uh, Deserby, the very beginning of Deserby uh, as a player, um, and we'll kind of just go through what he did, how he got there, uh, and what his management style has looked like um, with with teams in Italy for the most part, with a little bit of Shakhtar peppered in as well. Uh, he didn't get a huge amount of time there before Putin decided to do what he did. Um, so if that sounds good to you, fellas, uh, we'll get started. Absolutely. Let's do yeah. it. All right. So Roberto De Zerbi. Uh, let's start with his uh, playing career. Uh, which was not hugely impressive, but still he he got himself about. Uh, left-footed Italian player, obviously. Uh, he's got the the pretty classic journeyman career, uh, mainly across Italy. Uh, but he did make two hundred and fifty appearance, two hundred and fifty three appearances in his career. Uh, most of them coming at Foggia, Catania, and Napoli. Uh, this was before Napoli were really really good. Um, he was utilized as primarily an attacking midfielder. Um, and something I want to note there is how all of our coaches on Potter's staff, which we've talked about a few times, were all defenders. Um, and yet our new manager uh, is primarily an offensive one. Um, the way he talks about number 10s, which we'll get into later on, is very passionate. Uh, it's a position he seems to be particularly obsessed with, given that he played it uh, and probably will play great importance in his reign at the Albion. Um do you have anything else to add to, to the playing side, fellas? Anything you've found out? I, I, I'm just glad he wasn't a very good footballer. I mean that with greatest respect, uh, that he wasn't some like superstar footballer because he's had to, and a lot has come out of this, especially after some of Sunis's absurd comments um, that on, on TalkSport, which, I mean, come on. Um uh, for me nowadays, if you were a very good professional footballer, you probably then got a bit of an easy layup into a 
job. Um, he wasn't good enough to get that. And he's had to go and prove himself at a variety of different places. And the idea being that he's moved on from job to job to job to job because he's done so well, because it's outside of maybe the Palermo move. And I'm sure we'll get into some of those things. Palermo are famous historically for sacking their managers almost immediately. They're sort of like Watford on supercharge. Um, he's, he's got better jobs each time. Um, and it proves to me that this, this, we've got a guy who had to had to earn this all himself. Um, and let's hopefully he goes and earns it again this time around with us. Yeah, couldn't could have said it any better. I think you're right. You, you, you don't have that unnecessary pressure of a Gerard or a Lampard considering that you're world-class. So, um, yeah, like you said, he's, he's done it. I say the right way, quote unquote, but as in like he's he's had to fight for those opportunities and and prove himself over and over, uh, and coming through, I guess the lower echelons of, of Italian football, um, we find him here. So uh, yeah, he's clearly earned his stripes. Yeah, it's it, Paul Watford catching strays on a Roberto deserving podcast. Wonderful. Um, there, I think the other thing there is, and I think with you know not just us, but it's been discussed quite a lot across many podcasts and in different mediums. Um, is that a lot of these top managers aren't weren't top footballers? Um, that a lot of them were average to poor. Um, I mean, Jose Mourinho was a bit of a joker, wasn't he? Uh, Potter wasn't exactly pulling up trees with his performances. Uh, Deserby the same. Um, I think really, with the exception of Pep, um, the really talented managers, um, and I'm not including Gerard or Lampard in that because they're not talented managers, um, you know, the the really, really high-class ones aren't generally great great footballers, are they? Which is an interesting... I'm not, I'm not sure where that correlation comes in and whether it is a case of they are having to come up from the bottom uh, and, and learn kind of the hard way, which kind of maybe gives them a bit more appreciation for different styles and tactics as they come up. Yeah. And he's had to reinvent himself, but I think we'll, we'll get into the, how he's, how his playing career has, is almost impacted his stance as a manager. Um, and you mentioned that he kind of played in this, basically a number 10 role in his career. And it seems like he never, seems like he was better than he ultimately got credit for. Again, I, I haven't watched Roberto Deserve play, or maybe I did when I was younger and I just didn't realise he was even playing. Um, but basically, he sounds like this sort of mercurial sort of deep striker and number 10 role that would come back. And uh, a lot of what's come out already and a lot of the research, and I'm sure like the benefit of being isolated with COVID is I've consumed a vast amount of horrendous amounts of deserving content and josh i know you wrote a sort of essay on it in the background and craig i'm sure you've done the same um but he basically his his that's how he sets up his teams he's all about basically creating a team that's got this kind of edgy dogmatic number 10 style it's a bit different it's 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 not the standard and i think we're, we're going to see some of that and what he's going to do at brighton as well and he has a treasure trove of capable number 10s to pick from doesn't he uh it's going to be really yeah. interesting to see which ones fit his bill um so yeah mo- moving on to management um and we'll cover let's cover his early career quickly uh and then we can kind of dig into the the higher ups um obviously uh the the management side started similarly to his playing career he started all the way down in Serie D uh with and I'm going to probably destroy this name Dartha Baurio Baurio uh, before he moved to Foggia, uh, where he did win the Italian Cup, um, I've, from what I can gather, this is kind of akin to that uh, that Johnston's Paint Trophy type prize down there. 
um, the Italian version. Uh, so um, he turned down two separate offers for better jobs at this point, which is also worth noting, Mr. Sunis, uh, that he turned down two better jobs at this point uh, before ultimately being sacked just weeks later for disagreements uh, over transfers. Um, a lot of people uh, have been really concerned with rumours that he's had disagreements with the board uh, across across different clubs. And it seems that this is the only one I can find uh, with any real concrete evidence that he he left due to disagreements with the board. Um, to me, if you're turning down two better jobs uh, and then being sacked a few weeks later due to disagreements over transfers, it sounds more like promises broken from the club, doesn't it? It sounds like it, doesn't it? I think you can read into it any way you want, um, but there's clearly a conversation been had there that maybe he needs to be backed and he wasn't. So, I mean, we can sit here and speculate all day long, but, you know, there's there's clearly just those sort of bits. But like you said, it, it seems like an isolated incident um, and something for, for naysayers to grasp on more than anything else. Let's also know. Let's not get away from the fact that this guy's—it's not the same personality as as um, as Grant Potter. Well, for for all their tactical similarities, um, he's a fiery Italian, uh, quintessentially. I'm sure we've all seen the various little videos and, and gifs of him throwing crap while he's on the bench at one of his uh, various clubs that he, he was at. Like he is not going to be a pushover. Um, and I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic at the club and something that is, in many ways, we probably haven't necessarily seen since Gus, um, where we, we've got a bit more of an enigma um, that doesn't have that mindset of, you know, geography teacher-esque personality. He's a madman in some ways, Bielsa-esque, but also has that fiery to, fieriness to him. So uh, I'm intrigued as to how that will unfold. I don't think it's I don't think it's just going to be a calm setup and everything's behind closed doors anymore. He, he's going to get angry if things don't go the way, and I'm kind of excited to see that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, uh, isn't it? To see how they handle it. Um, a club that did not handle his fieriness very well was that one that we were just talking about, uh, Palermo. Uh, generally considered not well uh, at taking any kind of anything really they're just very reactionary uh he didn't do very well though uh seven consecutive defeats you know despite what you say about palermo it, that's poor uh and no single points at home in three months sounds familiar uh, should be right at home here um he got beat uh, in a penalty shootout um in a home match against spezia and was then sacked um yes palermo are not the most stable club in the world uh, but this seems to be the only instance where you can note that Mr. Deserby failed, really, at a club he was appointed at. Um, and from then on, uh, you know, he goes on to Benevento, uh, Sassuolo and Shakhtar and hasn't failed since. Uh, so whatever learnings he took, uh, which Graham was very keen to talk about learnings and things he was going to take from him, uh, whatever Deserby has done there uh, clearly worked wonders, didn't it? Um, because from then on, it seems to be nothing but to the moon sometimes you got to get it wrong right you live and learn and all of those learnings and all that nonsense we talk about but you know they, like you said this is clearly something as in a learning experience and like you said something clearly happened there to to sort of shift his mentality or his or his focus towards what he needs to do so um 
not worried about that in the slightest, obviously, because he's gone on to bigger and better things and, and shown what he's capable of. Um, but yeah, sometimes you need to fail. Um, I'm not going to judge him too harshly, honestly, even even with the results there. Uh, there were, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine Palermo managers between November of 2015 and January of 2017. So 14 months, there were nine managers. Just just so people have context when they look at this and go, oh God, he didn't do well. Yeah, eight other guys didn't do well either uh, in as nearly as many months. Is so, that a record, do you think? Uh, it's incredible. Uh, I genuinely, there was one guy that was there from, <laughs> they had they, <laughs> they had four guys. One was there from Jan 2016, fired Jan 2016. The next one came in in January 2016 and was fired in February. The following guy came in in February and was fired in February. Then the next guy was February and out in March. So they just basically just fired three guys in the space of a month. Um, so, yeah, that's how Palermo will, will, will run and still kind of are. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, and this may be a bit controversial. Um, aren't, aren't Palermo and the Mafia interlinked as well? Well, I we'll, have, we'll have to be careful here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I believe Maybe. they are, though, no? Didn't Palermo get uh, a bunch of point deductions at the same time as Juve and all the others? Uh, and they're the biggest team in Sicily. I'm pretty sure they are. And, and I'm pretty sure that's probably, <laughs> there's probably some sort of correlation there uh, between the, the unrest and whatever else was going on. Well, I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. Um I suppose Adam up in New Jersey, knowing he's about twenty minutes away. From yeah, the I've got, uh, yeah. I guess it, there's probably a couple of ex-Palermo guys up here that would come and get me at the local deli. So I've got to be careful. Yeah. <laughs> Swiftly moving on. Uh, so he <laughs> he takes almost a year out of football, uh, and then uh, in October of 2017, Roberto De Zerbi was appointed manager of newly promoted Benevento uh, in Syria. Um, despite the side uh, being relegated back to Serie B almost immediately, um, and we have some stuff to talk about here that's a little bit concerning, uh, he was pretty much widely praised uh, for his possession-based attack in football. His transfer business was seen as very astute. Uh, he was he was really given the Eddie Howe treatment in Italy. He was kind of the Eddie Howe of Italy at that point. He was managing a Bournemouth-esque team uh, and got relegated, uh, but was really came out of it better looking than than he should have. Um, something to note here, which I found really interesting, uh, 56%, this is, I don't think there's any more ever than this, 56% of his goals uh, in that season were conceded via the counter-attack. Um, if you want to understand just how many uh, players he likes to get forward in an attacking format, um, kind of scary, knowing one of our key weaknesses as a Brighton side Um not great is it that that step does it worry you a little bit yeah 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 really 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 does uh there's there's a lot to get excited about for 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 this managerial signing and i know we'll dig into more around our overall thoughts around this once we kind of get off deserbies you know this is your life but um yeah there's quotes out there of his teams can't defend and they get counted on 
constantly and is attacking players too intricate. Um, yes, yeah, stop me if you've heard that before. Um, that's that's slightly terrifying, especially just given some of the differences between the games, the, the game type and style in in Italy and 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 in England. Like teams will counter you like crazy here. Um, let's see. I'm hoping the good aspects and the extra, hopefully, goals that we create and the even heightened possession that I would expect us to have outweigh the downsides of being caught on the counter. What I do want to talk about in a bit, though, is is how our squad and some of the players fit in with this new play style because there might be some players that we've relied upon for quite a while at the club that might not be the best fit for the, for this new slightly tweaked style of football, especially in the defensive areas. So, yeah. Yeah, that's where I was going with it as well, is that you need to look at the personnel at his disposal, like especially during those sort of bits. And is it obviously wary and <laughs> a bit of a terrifying start around the counter-attacks and, and being able to be so easily countered? Because we've, yeah, we've seen that before. Uh, but again, it, it's all around how he uses the current team and, we have very good defenders at this club. And um, so, you know, from, from that perspective, how much of the onus will be on the quality of the players as opposed to the system. But um, yeah, I will obviously get into that a little bit more, but um, it's, it's obviously concerning to hear, but again, we, we've had issues with counterattacks for, for, for a while. So uh, it's just, and we're still fourth in the league. Right. So yeah, so, we can get around it. Hopefully. Mm. <laughs> yep. Uh, so let's the first thing to talk about here is just, and this is going to be a continuing piece throughout the rest of this podcast. Here is the the character of Roberto De Zerbi. Uh, upon relegation, Benevento could not keep a lot of players. Uh, they were not; they were punching way above their weight as is, um, similar to a Bournemouth type side, really, uh, without the cheating Russian owner. Um, they were they were really struggling. Um, so they let they had to let go of almost half of their playing squad. Um, at the end of the season, uh, various fees and, and players went on to to do some pretty good things. Uh, Deserby resigned at the end of that season, as opposed to allowing himself to be sacked uh, to save them money. Uh, this is a man that's just been relegated from Syria. Uh, he has no re- no guarantees of another job, um, and he decided to do that because he felt that was best for the team. Um, and something you're going to see now throughout the rest of this podcast as we get into really what we would probably consider the meat of his his legacy at Sassuolo and, and Shakhtar that we can really use to look at what Brighton are going to do. Uh, we're kind of at the end of the this is your life segment here uh, and we're going to get into the real kind of serious stuff of what he can provide to the Albion. Um, but that that character and that just morally right <laughs> viewpoint um, is something that you're going to start seeing now kind of leak through almost all of his, his tenure at both sides, um, which is pretty cool. Um, he was not out of a job for too long, though. Uh, Sassuolo swooped in on the 13th of June uh, and was appointed manager. Um, so under his tenure, uh, they were, again, just like Benevento, very much praised for their style of football. Um, again, sound familiar? Um, they uh, had some pretty overachieving results, again, sound familiar, uh, and led a rather small club uh, compared to many of those in Italy, right, uh, slash on the south coast of England, to two consecutive uh, eighth-place spots uh, in Syria. 
Um, he only missed out on uh, the super quality conference league uh, <laughs> to Roma. Jose Mourinho's Roma, but by, by the way, uh, just due to goal difference um, just two years ago. So this is a guy that came in uh, and started overachieving from the work go. Um, we can really get into now what his style of play looks like, what he required at Sassuolo and onwards. Um, and by this point, I would say, you know, whatever we list off, this is a perfect time to start uh, really linking in how this pertains to to, to Brighton and what we're probably going to start seeing player-wise, personnel-wise, um, and what that kind of interaction with the players is probably going to look like. Um, let's start with the with the key piece. He's very particular um, in his requirements for a team. And this is this is very Gus Puyet like uh, he wants to see his teams play in a very specific way. Uh, but here's the key piece here uh, with certain managers like Sammy Hoppia, for example. Um, he will always show a willingness to adjust to his players' abilities, to his strategies. He's not someone that will put square pegs into round holes. Uh, he's not confined to one particular formation, uh, but has a very specific ethos uh, throughout the squad. Um, and that ethos is is possession and control based game plans uh, very much playing in the opponent's half. Uh, that's something that is a staple throughout um, relies on movement and short passing uh, building from the back, which is very, very important and very Gus-esque. Uh, I, I feel like Kasper Ankergren somewhere is wishing he was still capable of playing uh, and uh, his, his, He's just very, very intentional uh, about overcrowding the offensive third with as many players as possible. Uh, something we've noted for a while that Albion really struggled at. Yeah, um, his his style, and I know you mentioned he doesn't necessarily can tweak things. At Sassuolo and then at Shakhtar, he was he's pretty heavily uh, used four two three one, right? And, and specifically this double pivot idea, which basically we've we've kind of been using between Mac and, and Caicedo just to sit in front of a grouping. He did play a little bit of three five two at Sassuolo as well. But yeah, his his whole premise is is to be an attacking team that that possesses the ball high up the pitch. Um but the other piece of that is all about defensively inviting on pressure and creating the ability to get the team to move up the pitch. Um so there's going to be a lot of instances, especially when the team is learning the style of play, where our hearts are going to be in our mouths because you are going to see a lot of passing around the back. Robert Sanchez is going to be pushed way out of his his, his normal space towards the line in the six-yard box. He's going to be pushed up. He's going to be involved in possession. Um and we're going to be doing things that probably make us feel a little bit uncomfortable when you go, why are you not just lumping the ball forward? What are you doing? You've got four Man City players rushing at you and they're just passing it around the back. We'll see a lot of that. Um, but from a possession standpoint, I know we're used to, we've been spoiled by Potter's possession, but we're going to probably see the hope here is possession with more purpose. Like his teams aren't afraid to take shots, at least historically. Yes, they'll have the ball high up the pitch, and in 2020, his team had the most possession in Serie A. Um, that's Sassuolo in, in Serie A. To, to, I mean, just to give context, Sassuolo's population is about 40,000. Their stadium seats 21,000. Half of the town of Sassuolo fits in the stadium. They're a tiny team. They don't have the backing of 
all of the Serie A teams around them. Like, monumental to just say that you, you come in and within a season, your team has the highest possession in the league. Like It's going to be an impressive thing. And hopefully we see a lot more goals as well with the, with this play. And that's, and I think that's the key bit that Josh Ulsher mentioned as well. It's just being able to hit the ground running and being able to to put your imprint on this team as quickly as you can. And um, some of the, I said when everyone's read all the media by now, but it in the it's a, almost like a tailor made appointment for us because of the similar ethos that that Potter and him share to an extent. Um, but you know we we have to give it time, like you said, we need to give the players time to adjust to this uh, and be able to do that. But from his Sassuolo days, you know, to be able to go from one season to the next and, and have such a radical impact on a team uh, and be able to change the way they play and the way that they act um, is really impressive. So um, whilst half of me is saying, oh, let's let's give him time and let's reserve judgment for, for a while, it, it seems that he really sort of picks up from the word go and, and is able to change things pretty quickly. Um, so that's exciting from our perspective. And again, Small resources overachieving. That sounds pretty familiar. So um, again, that that all seems to fit in, and as to what a, a good appointment this is. And to add to the possession stat, they also had the highest pass accuracy in the division. Ninety percent pass accuracy under Roberto De Zerbi. Uh, we've actually made comment uh, on a few different pods recently of what our pass accuracy looks like. Ninety um, percent is not just outlandish, but almost like it feels unachievable. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see what, what he achieves at the Albion with that kind of impressive uh, display of numbers behind him. Um, and that double pivot is going to be something that that we're probably going to talk about a fair bit throughout his, his time here. Um, he developed uh, Locatelli from being just a guy uh, to being really a, a pivotal role model for Sassuolo and, and half of Italy at this point. Uh, he was averaging 77 passes a game uh, with a 90% pass accuracy. Uh, and over 70% of those passes were forward passes. That's also insane. Um, and you also feel that, you know, when you're looking at players within the Albion setup, like you said, with Caicedo and Alexis already doing some of this, that almost feels like a role that Alexis McAllister has, has been born to play uh, and something that Graham has unknowingly been grooming him for for the past <laughs> six months, doesn't it? It feels quite almost quite insane that we've we've got a guy in uh, that seems to be fitting Alexis's progression to an absolute D. In his first interview with the club, uh, I'm, I'm sure you've, you've all watched this, uh, but he was asked... Uh, you know, how well do you know the players? And I, I know he said a lot of times, like part of the interview process, Bloom's come out and said this, Paul Barber's come out and said this, like he came in really impressive, like with his knowledge of, of what our team is and their strengths and weaknesses. But he named some players in that interview. Um, and just in case you didn't pick them up, the first player he named was McAllister. And then he went through and said, I know McAllister, I know Welbeck, I know Caicedo, I know Trossard, March and Gross. There's a couple of players he didn't mention there, namely sort of the stalwart captain of the club, who's, you know, quite important to the team. He only mentioned players that I would classify as our sort of most technically gifted players. Um, 
that should tell you everything you need to know about who he is and what he's going to look for and who's going to thrive under this system of his. Um, and there's a reason why in his days at Sassuolo and then at Shakhtar, he favoured the players that were the technically gifted ones. He even moved over Marlon, the Brazilian central defender from his time at Sassuolo. He purchased him over at Shakhtar. Um, that's the kind of player he wants. And as you mentioned, like he's, he made a, incredible player out of, of, of Lorenzo Pellegrini, who's now, you know, superstar for Italy um, and, and Juventus. Um, Raspadori, who just had the fortune of scoring against England, Sassuolo youth product who came into his own under, under De Zerbi. Uh, you've also got a couple of other players in there that um, I'm, I'm trying to, who's the right winger who's really impressive? Berardi. Um, like there's a bunch of players that he's managed to make impressive, but they all fit fitted a certain mold. McAllister, Caicedo are the two players I think I'm most excited about uh, under the Serbi. Yeah, I, a nurturing of talent as well, being able to get the best out of these sort of players that come through. Um, again, with that sort of, I guess, tighter budget restrictions, if you like. Um, but yeah, just you're spot on. I think he's going to be looking for a certain type of player and and work in a certain way um if your pass percentage is going to be at 90 percent, you need to you need to have some very technical and and very good passes of the ball in order to to achieve that um so the double pivot is going to be obviously vital i think um like like josh said it, it seems tailor-made as well given the the progression that McAllister has made in that role as well um alongside a emerging caicedo out of out of the blue um so yeah, exciting. But I think he's he's going to be looking for those types of players, and we we saw Bloom come out and say that you know he will be back to an extent in January if we need those players in. I wouldn't be surprised if they're incredibly technically gifted players. Um, first and foremost. Yeah, very much so. Uh, if this next bit sounds like I'm outright reading off a screen, it's because I am. I took a shit ton of notes. So the the important thing to note for his uh, formation and how important these two midfielders are. Um, it's his uh, unusual 4-2-3-1 scheme that he's come up with. Uh, and this has developed since Benevento. Uh, and I think it's probably trying to help combat that counter-attack uh, situation, which hasn't helped massively, but it has helped some. Um, so he's really transformed uh, the way fullbacks support up front, which is going to be very interesting uh, with the amount of very attacking fullbacks we have uh, on the Bucks. Um, he he uses them very differently. Uh, while helping with uh, retaining possession, with ball progression, all that good stuff, they won't go too far up anymore. His fullbacks do not generally go too far up the field. Uh, with a 4-2-3-1, and if anybody's played football manager or even FIFA, you'll know this, uh, fullbacks are pretty important in that formation. They generally overload as much as they can out wide, um, and they don't do that under Deserby. Uh, they don't generally head enter that final third too often at all. Um, you know, it's something that they they provide ball progression rather than actual attacking actions. Um, and here's the here's the really interesting bit before we get to the actual midfielders themselves. This leaves wingers almost always inverted uh, with the responsibility to provide width in the advanced areas. Um, so this is a team that doesn't really have many out and out wingers. Uh, Few, few fairly capable wing backs, um, but we've 
Potter generally hasn't ever used attacking wingers or had need for them. Um, we're quite lucky to have brought in Mitoma, uh, which inadvertently is a great option at this point, it feels like, uh, along with Trossard playing out there lately and, and, and thriving. Um, but it's going to be a lot of responsibility uh, on those those wingers to attack and provide width in the advanced areas. Um, and that's where that double pivot in midfield comes into action and those centre-backs are going to be really tested. Uh, they are responsible for cutting through defences with quick passing with the centre-backs. Uh, they are expons- responsible for exploiting midfield gaps. They're responsible for providing the ball to those inverted wingers, uh, the much-beloved number 10 or the striker. Uh, and using this method, it actually allows up to eight players into the attacking third. Um, <laughs> hold your breath there, Amex attendees. Uh, you're going to shit your pants a fair few times, I think. Uh, but what makes their attacking actions that successful is the high number of shooting efforts. No more frustration at not shooting, I think. Uh, 13.74 shots per 90, uh, which come from both outside the box and from a close distance. Uh, that increases their versatility in the advanced areas uh, and helps them break in through different defensive structures, uh, depending on whether they're going against two or four at three or back. Uh, and this is something you've honestly seen Pep Guardiola work on in the last 12 months. Um, quite a lot, actually. Uh, you've seen a lot of uh, his fullback methodology change um, in, in the last season and a half. Uh, and something that is not a coincidence, uh, given that Pep has noted that he he uses some of Deserby's experiments at a higher level to see how he can hone and cultivate those. Uh, and they are kind of besties, aren't they? Um, so... Uh, there's, there's a lot of responsibility there for, for that midfield and centre-back group. Um, and it will be interesting to see how those fullbacks adapt, given that, you know, he's trying to stop being hit on the counter as much as possible. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm also really excited about Welbeck um, because he took a relatively sort of semi-journeyman 30-plus forward in Francesco Caputo in his time at Sassuolo into a pretty mean goal scorer. So um, hopefully the hope here is that we can finally stop saying, when do we, when are we going to get in a position where we actually funnel goals to our front man? Um, Hopefully that's now. Um, But yeah, I'm intrigued about the winger situation because obviously on the left-hand side, we're sport for choices. The right-hand side, right winger position, even, even now we actually have to have someone purpose built for that. You know, again, we go back to the, is that Solly game in, game out, 90 minutes a game? Um, And if it isn't, who is it? Uh, Can we bring in a Mitoma and have him sit on the other wing? Or can Trossard play on the other side? We rarely ever see that. Um, So I'm wondering whether he's already eyeing up a position on the right wing in the the January transfer window. Um, The other part is, is who, who plays in, if we do move to fully a back four at this point, who's the old man out there? Um, and immediately my thoughts go to, to saying that, well, you, you've got a opinion and left back who I think is going to be really good in the system, technically gifted, um, is going to play and that kind of sit back role really, really nicely. Um, I think he'll be great. You're probably still going to, you're going to stick with Duncan Webster. I'd be shocked if you don't. And then I would imagine Veltman plays on the right, which means Lamptey again, do we, is he just come in just to, to spell Veltman out every now and then so that's that's another part for me that I'm a I, I don't know yet and it remains to be seen what happens you, you think Lamptey gets the bail treatment gets pushed further forward 
That's what I was thinking too. He doesn't have a shot on him though. And and like he's 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 not he's no Berardi. Like he's not gonna contribute goals unless he changes his game. So I I don't know if he will. But well, I don't who's know he if he can compete with though. Solly March. <sighs> that, let's not get started on that. Yeah, do we need we need a right wing goal scorer, right? Who is that? Who is that? I think I think Lanty at 90 minutes as a marauding wing back, he, he runs out of steam pretty quickly. And I guess when, when we're talking about this sort of wingers a, a stay up and they, and they keep up, and I don't know whether he can you know be more explosive over a longer period of time, given that he doesn't have to track back for 90 minutes. Um, so yeah, but this is all stuff that I think you're right. I think the, the right winger position is something that we'll probably be looking at in January regardless of, of how the next 10 games go. Keep a close eye on the World Cup, see if anyone emerges out of that, like some sort of you know FIFA January transfer window. Um, and, then, and then we'll see how that goes. But again, it's, it's all up to those sort of players and making their mark and understanding. And you know, we're talking technically, but also who's going to buy into his philosophy quicker um, you know, to, to make that move and, and to make that their own. Um, the reality is, is that everyone's position is now up for grabs again. It, you know, you can't rest on your laurels. You have to impress the new guy and, and his and his team. So, you know, we'll we'll definitely see. I think, but you're, you're right. I think Feltman goes to right back. I think you you keep that that four. Um, and the like we, we talked about the double pivot. Um, but Welbeck as well. Yeah, the the Caputo situation and and what he's able to get out of and and be able to sort of use him to his best of his ability and um, i'm excited for that like you said he he was explicitly called out in his in his first interview so you know that seems like that's going to be the ploy I, i'm intrigued about gross as well i don't know what you think about gross josh because he's obviously been in fantastic form he's going to be playing pretty far up like for me he's the guy that sits centrally right behind Welbeck in 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 that four two three one if we do move forward with that um and interestingly Kevin Prince Boateng, who played under Deserbi at Sassuolo, KP, my guy, the infamous Kevin Prince Boateng, who earned himself a transfer to Barcelona. If you if you remember that sort of weird moment that happened in our relatively recent history from I his adore. time playing there, and um, I adore KP. He uh, <laughs> he's uh, he came out and said uh, uh, about Deserbi. He said he he puts him above other top coaches he's worked under. And Kevin Prince-Burton worked under Jurgen Klopp at Borussia Dortmund and Allegri at, at Milan. So keep in mind, Boateng is pretty much like, Deserbi probably looked at him and said, oh, I can make you something amazing. You play that number 10 role, that's that's all That's all what I'm about. Which makes me excited for Pascal Gross, what he can do with him, because we know there's never an issue with Pascal Gross's talent. Kevin Prince-Boateng wasn't the quickest guy in the world either, but technically very, very good. So uh, uh, this, if you're Pascal, you've got to be pretty pumped. Yeah, you, I agree with you. You think about Pascal getting better as well. I mean, given his start to the season, like, yeah. Sorry, Josh. and it's it's no, it's the role he thrived in, though, right? Like under Hutton, mm. like he was the only attacking threat we had at times because of his technical ability. Um, he's he's never been the quickest. It's not like he's he's having to adapt to no longer having the speed. He never had it. Um, and I think that, you know, Kevin Prince was quick back in the day, the pom- the Pompey days. He was, he was oh, yeah, a, he was a lightning player in all shapes and forms. Like he was, he was an enigma of a guy, right? But he's he's had to adapt, and and probably Deserby helped him with that, and probably why he has such high praise for him. He helped him adapt to 
what age does to everyone, right? Father time took over. Um, Pascal doesn't have that. He's already over that hump, um, which makes it even more exciting, I think, for what he can do in this team. Um, I mean, he's technically brilliant, isn't he? Like, that's what we talk about all the time. That pass to, to lay off to the goal for Trossard um, and just about everything he does. I mean, he rinses top fullbacks every other week with a simple gross turn. Like, it's it's the most basic shit, and yet he, he sends people like to the hot dog stand so you would think he would be he will be very very excited um for sure uh, i am going to derail a little bit because Stephen mitchell in the chat uh has has an interesting question uh have we hit the jackpot getting to zerby uh, especially with the last few days of england fans uh and the majority of the media now really starting to pick up steam uh with southgate likely out of a job by the end of qatar if it goes as poorly as it currently looks like uh, and potter being the favorite to take over um i don't think potter will take over for what it's worth um, I don't think he will. I think there's way too. I don't think that England could afford him at this point. Um, but but if he didn't sh- move, if he didn't move, that's where I was going to go. Yeah. I was literally about to say, but they sure as shit could afford Brighton's salary. Yeah. Um, so you know, by this point in time, come January, uh, does Deserby already have a job? Probably uh, because Juve were after him. Um, that's we turned Bologna down as well, right? Already, and yeah, Juve because Allegri's on the hot seat. Yep. So I mean. To answer the question, Stephen, I think, yeah, I think we have. If if Deserbi is everything we hope he's going to be, right? Uh, yes, I think we have hit the jackpot. Uh, because I think, barring a last eight World Cup, I think Southgate would probably have been sacked for Graham Potter. Whether he is now, no matter how he performs, because Potter and Howe are neither available, they may well just not dead to get rid of him because they've got no one else available. Um, but then if he had stayed with us, I, I mean, like Adam said, I think that's the key point. And I, th- I think he would have been gone. I think no doubt about it. I think they'd have saw the writing was on the wall and thought, why not? We've got four years until the next world cup. Let's get him in. We can afford him. Uh, and he gets what most English managers consider to be the, the pinnacle of their game. Um, so yeah, if Deserby is everything he thinks he is and everything we hope him to be, um, I, th- I think we 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 probably have hit the jackpot at kind of perfect timing for for Potter to screw us over in the way he did um, with the rapid exit. I think it's it's probably worked out for the best. Yeah, I wonder if we were going to go back and touch on any of the, the the you know the wounds from from the Potter move at some point. But yeah, and, and the other impending wound being Southgate. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to say at this point. I was, I was, I'm a Southgate outer even after the Euros because I thought we, he was an absolute chancer with the way he played. I think we got a bunch of favourable luck that came in there, easy games against sides that were at the end of their cycles. Especially, I'm talking about you know the Germanys of the world, um, and I think he's a terrible coach. Uh, and I'm scared about Qatar. So saying all that, I'm sure we end up getting to the final or something like that. But uh, it just it feels very like Mourinho's Roma winning the Conference League, second mention of the thing. Like, let's try and play with, and I hate this term, but I'll say it, let's try and play with a low block and then score on the counter with our pacey wingers and see what happens and win every game 1-0. Like, cry, like, come on. I think that's why we're so fortunate as Brighton fans in recent memory, uh, that the Bloom and Co have set out their store to bring in managers post-Hutton era, era that 
play football the way it should be played. And it sounds cliche, but we as fans, we will watch because we want to be excited. We want to see the best of technically gifted players. That's why Brazil are always so popular to watch their exciting team. Maybe you don't always get the perfect results, but we watch it because it's the beautiful game, right? We've been blessed with that under Potter. That's why they brought in Deserbi because he's the kind of guy that can combine technically gifted players and beauty of football to get results. Southgate's the bloody antithesis of that. So I've gone on a rant, but he annoys the <laughs> hell out of me because we've got a talented squad and he just sort of almost like just tries to bring out the most drab, effective, boring, pragmatic performances possible. And he's failing at that as well. Cause I mean, he's still playing Maguire. Like I just, anyway, yeah. Anyway, deserve be great. Southgate horrendous. A, I've got a, an interesting question for you both. <laughs> Craig, you can answer this one first. We're going down an England rabbit hole here, but I just want to ask real quick. Uh, if plan A had gone to plan, um, do you think we do better, worse, or the same at the last two international tournaments with Big Sam in charge? I, I think we do any better. I, I just, I think I'm, I'm the same as that. It's just boring football, regardless, isn't it? Like, yeah, I, I don't like him either. I was just curious what you thought about Big Sam. I mean, it's just the the track record, and yeah, I think Adam put it very very effectively with with Southgate and sort of echoes my my sentiments as well but Allardyce isn't the answer there's there's no sort of answer at the moment and unless you do go with a Potter or something like that to completely revolutionize the way that they're actually doing things um yeah it's a very talented squad but just the wrong people in charge and they continue to select the wrong people yeah it's not great um I mean, I, I agree. I think me and Adam talked about it uh, one time before we were recording. Um, and I'm absolutely convinced we'd have... I, like, I agree with you both. I, I think we'd have won one of those tournaments without Southgate in charge. Not Big Sam in charge. But if we would have, if we would have brought in... Like a like Mourinho said he wanted the England job at one point. If we'd have, if we'd have had Mourinho in charge against the Elliot the Euros, we win that. We win that he, cup. Yeah, he would have had a field day. Yep. It wouldn't have been nice... <laughs> wouldn't have been nice to watch either uh, but he he would have won it um and i think that's that's the key for me well you can you can be a boring pragmatic coach with in a like negative football if you win like you got to win it's got to be worth it uh, i don't care about getting to the final and then in some ways embarrassing like by by just being pathetic like that's not i know we got to penalties i know all of that but like Unless you come home with the trophy, don't bore me with your negative football. Like, have a go and then go home early. I'd rather that. Um, I know a lot of people would disagree. It's just, yeah, it's it's silly. To bring it back to Deserby, um, back to the other the other job like that we talked about Bologna. Um, he recently turned down that job. Bologna is a decent job in Italy, um, middle of the table side. But you know, I'm sure he could do something. It's, it's a better job than, than Sassuolo, and he's an unemployed guy prior to the Brighton job. And he turned that down because his mate, Sinisa Mihailovic, who was the Bologna coach, uh, has leukemia and, and was dismissed. Um, and he basically said, to, I'm not going to take that job off after what they did to, to him uh, and fired him for that. So it shows you the character of the man uh, that, that he's not this kind of, despite what other people in the press might say about this, maybe he's a mercenary and he switches jobs and he causes a fuss and falls out with people. That's the character of the guy. Like, clearly, he's a he's a good person. 
uh, and he's he's going to mean well about what he's going to do. And and that's again another Bloom and Barber thing, right? Potter, despite the exit, seemed like a good human being. Um, more of that, please. Yeah, um, I mean, well, that's we're we're just we're at Sassuolo, uh, and we have got three jobs turned down, one voluntary resignation, uh, and we haven't even got to the Shakhtar incident yet. Uh, which says everything you need to know about the guy. Uh, I think he passes the no dickheads policy uh, that, that the club have with flying colours so far. Um, and it really only just gets better from here. Um, it's hard not to like him. Uh, let's go opposite. Uh, let's go totally counter to the low block bollocks that we see uh, with England and, and Jose Mourinho and others. Uh, Sassuolo, uh, as it happens with most attack-minded teams, which they very much were, uh, their overcommitment to those advanced areas, sometimes having up to eight players in that final third, which is just outrageous to me, uh, often comes at the expense of their defensive performances and something that you know he's struggled with for a long time. Uh, and it wasn't fully fixed at Sassuolo either. Uh, when you focus on those attacking actions as much as you do, uh, obviously the counter-attack becomes a very viable option for teams playing against you. Uh, it leaves empty spaces. It causes defensive disorganization. Uh, it makes it a lot harder for teams to employ a marking strategy if you're way up the field. Um, and generally, you know, Sassuolo were not strangers to this issue. Uh, they saw it a fair bit. Um, and it seems pretty clear to me that Deserby is, you know, he relies on, on, on scoring more than you um, as, as his main thing. Um, that would not always work, uh, evidently. Uh, but it keeps his team on the front foot, uh, keeps their enthusiasm to keep on scoring. It's a fun way to play. It's what we want to watch. We would rather watch us win 3-2 than lose, than, you know, or win 1-0 if it was boring. I think you'd rather see those those games than not. Um, and whenever they need to trouble their opponents, build up, um, their, their press pass, their, their pressing defensive actions are insane. Um, they are, when they were in Syria, uh, they were above Juventus uh, with their press and defensive actions. Uh, they were above the majority of that top group, really. Um, they are just an insanely quick pressing team, uh, which again, echoes all the way back to Manchester City and the way they play currently. Uh, very, very similar. Um, and if you can get the ball back in the opponent's half, something that Potter's Albion this year, especially have seemed particularly talented at, uh, it's not going to be new to this team. There's going to be a lot of those fundamentals that this team are already good at and already familiar with. Yeah, and, that, and that's I know we keep saying it, we sound like a broken record, but the, the, there's no mistake why they had this guy earmarked. Um, and I, I almost wonder whether he'd still be first choice if he was in a job at Shakhtar and, and the, the war hadn't, been a thing um because it, it's it's uh, i don't know i mean outside of some of the other names that were the thrown about um he just feels so perfectly made for for a transition off of potter um both from a pressing and a possession standpoint but as you, as we talked about a little bit there, there are going to be some sort of subtle differences in, in terms of how we play and there are going to be some players here that are either going to really embrace it and there's some that maybe aren't going to work out so well. And um, I'm excited about the fact that we've got this uh, relatively younger, more impressionable group throughout the squad. And I know we talked about the double pivot players, but with, with Mac and Caicedo, 
their, their evolution under Deserby could potentially be very, 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 very exciting to watch. Um, and and the way in which he kind of builds up from the back, I know we've a lot of focus on the attacking football around Deserby, but all of that comes from what you do once, you know, Bob Sanchez maybe has the ball at his feet or in his hands. I'm going to be so intrigued as to what happens with our grouping right at the back there. Dunk, Webster and Sanchez, to me, are the three that I'm going to look at and go, how are you going to get on in this system that he creates? Because it's going to be a bit of a departure from a five at the back where the ball gets sprayed out to the sides. This is different. Like, Deserby brings six players back when the goalkeeper has the ball at his feet. So we'll have Sanchez, uh, uh, Caicedo and McAllister will come right to the edge of the box the two centre-backs will be right there as well. And then the, the the left and right back will be positioned at the flank. So he'll have six like, six passing options. Now, we all know we get nervous sometimes when Robert Sanchez has the ball at his feet. But what he is very good at is he smashes the ball up and picks up a pass from yards and yards and yards away up the other end of the pitch. There's going to be none of that. He will not be allowed to do that uh, unless he really has a great pass on. So we're going to be seeing a lot more of that, like, okay, pass out to Dunk. Dunk's got his, you know, back to the rest of the pitch. Where's he going to play the ball? Like that, I'm already getting a bit nervous about that. Like, are we going to sink or swim in those situations? Like for me and how that all gets brought about is going to be really, really compelling to watch. Um, And I will shut up in a second. But the other thing that I'm sure you've all seen bounded about is this idea that he makes teams kind of get baited into it into that defensive grouping. So there's these sort of famous shots that are going around about his defenders, his central defenders, literally putting their studs on the ball in this sort of like foot sound mentality. So they just stand there and wait for the attackers to come onto them and just like, oh, I'm not going to move. I'm just going to sit here. And that then obviously then baits an attacker to come in. Bam, you've got a nice little passing triangle out and you, you're up, up the other end of the pitch relatively quickly. That's all what he's about. And there's a reason why he's got really good results against some of the bigger teams in, in Serie A is because those sides will press you like crazy. So you can work around that press. It's going to be fascinating to watch what happens when we play against some of those lower, lower end of the table sides that we've struggled with in recent history as well, that will just sit back and they won't be baited into a press. How can we work around that? So it's, there's a, there's a lot to look out for in the coming season. And it's a it's an education piece for the team, but also for the fans as well. Um, you know, we're going to be watching this and trying to decipher and understand what what we're trying to do. And I think that's the exciting part of having a new coach in with those new ideas, that new philosophy, that new mentality of how he wants this team to play. So, um, are we going to feel super nervy and uncomfortable when Sanchez is being pressed 30, 40 times a game? Absolutely, but um that cliche trust the process and that if this is if this is the direction we want to go in and, and this is how we want to play um then those bait and switches are going to be amazing to watch they, they're going to be almost as obvious as a gross tan to to us who who watch it week in week out um so you know those sort of things where we're going to see something different it is exciting um and, and the, the second part is like you said, who who fits into that philosophy? And um, you know, we're we're coming up to ten games left before the World Cup. I keep I said it before, but you know, people ha- and, and these individual players are going to have to leave their mark in these next ten games, and and that's where the excitement is for me. Is that you're going to see people potentially up their game 
um, or you know, nut up or shut up, basically, in that you know they need to perform before this World Cup, before the January transfer window, because this guy has ideas and he has a very specific way of playing um, and a mentality that isn't going to shift. So, do you fit in, or, or is there radical changes that need to be made? I think that that's what we're going to see in the next couple of months. I think the the defensive actions that you were talking about the studs on the ball the i mean the outright arrogance right like that's exactly what it is um it's almost like trolling to, to an extent on a football pitch um and i think that's where you like instead of looking at deserbi and, and how he's performed because it's shocked at shakhtar who are one of the biggest teams in ukraine easily they they cut through poor teams um because the amount of time they sat on the ball just doing nothing uh, they they couldn't help it. They had to press forward because yeah. it frustrated teams. Uh, and I think if you look at that from a Brighton perspective, that's how Poyet got so many good results against bad teams in League One. Casper uh, Ankerin would sit on that ball, and I remember being in the stadiums where like we would count the seconds, and like he would be up to like twenty four seconds. And away from home, those home fans get mad, and poor mm-hmm. teams have no choice. They really don't have a choice that they either sit there and settle for a nil-nil where Casper will just sit on the ball for that even it's in. That's fine. We've Gus, re, Gus relies on us to win at home, and we were. So that's fine. That's two points per game. That's promotion. We'll just sit on the ball and do nothing then. And they can't, they can't, they, they hate it. Uh, and those smaller teams, I say that, we're not exactly massive. Those those poorer teams, um, they're going to have to react to that. You know, you can't imagine, and I know they're not in this division anymore, but like go to Turf more and pull that shit. See how long it takes for the Burnley fans to lose their minds and have those those players being baited. It's going to happen. Um, and I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think that we may well see an almost return to, to what should be expected. Uh, I think we're going to find it a lot easier to beat the, the poorer teams that set up very strong defensively. Uh, and I think we're going to find ourselves really at the mercy of some of these big sides coming up, especially especially in this next month or so. Um, I think you're probably going to see a return to type where we're, we're achieving exactly what we should do against teams like Manchester City. We're probably going to lose three or four one, uh, but we're going to go to teams like Forest at the city ground, for example, uh, and we're going to win that by more than one goal for once. Um, and I think that's probably what, with no other knowledge of what other than the bajillion things we've all con- consumed on Deserby, that that feels like probably the more likely outcome here. Yeah, I, the, the the difference between the leagues is is going to be very telling, um, and and that old school Italian Serie A philosophy of defense first, um, which he is very much you know the the, the counterpoint to. He, he may well be in for a shock in the Premier League because between the top sides now in, in this league, um, he's gonna we're going to get pressed like cr- crazy and he won't have experienced that same level of press. Not even sides like Juve and, and, and Inter and AC do that, right? They're still very comfortable about sitting and waiting to win possession back and work their way out the pitch or even play on the counter like Mourinho's Roma. Um, Man City aren't going to do that. There's going to be three players running at, at, at Adam Webster once, you know, he's trying to play a backwards pass to Rob Sanchez, he's going to try and chip it over to, to Estupinian and then we're going to be surrounded. Like, there are going to be moments, especially in October, when the players are learning this system, Deserby's learning the league, and we're playing against some very strong sides in the next few weeks. 
where we are going to concede and we as fans are going to look around and go, what the hell was that? They w- there will be embarrassing goals where the players get used to, to this new new way of really playing outside the back. Let's not forget, by the way, Potter played out from the back. Like we, we've already seen this. Like that was that's a big thing. We tried to do that. Now it's going to be on steroids. Um, there's going to be a transitionary period where mistakes will be made. But yes, hopefully at the other end of the pitch, it's going to make it worth it. And there's going to be some fun, some fun games for us. Yeah. It's, like you said, there's, there's a betting in time here as well that we, we know. And, you know, some fans will anticipate is that, you know, like previously said, you know, he, he has, he has a somewhat track record of being able to get things going pretty quickly, but you have to remember this is the best football league in the world against some of the top sides in the world and with a very different mentality, like Adam said. So you, you are going to be pressed like mad. You are going to be playing a different version of the game here that he hasn't seen before. Um, uh, you know, if there's one thing you can say is that a lot of his experience is based in one country. Um, so he's very used to that sort of mentality and philosophy or being the anticipation the antithesis of it so it you have to give him time and just around what happens get used to the system and like i said the onus is on the players and picking this up as quickly as they can too um in the let's try and get as many points on the board but as josh alluded to we're into a very bad run of games at the moment against some very top teams so does that help you know, because we've got those sort of free hits where we're not actually expecting any points? Um, or is this actually going to be a very bad run of games where we just can't see that progress or, or that change in mentality and, and play? Uh, the, the other thing, Josh, you probably want to comment on this as well, but Barber came out and it, this they've said multiple times that they know how tough this this period is going to be. They know that there's going to be some, some, some bedding in, as you said, Greg. Um, this is a very much a, a long-term hire. I think they came out and said that someone asked about the contract. Uh, like, did you guys offer a three and he negotiated you up to a four, right? Cause it's a four year. I think he signed. Uh, no, no, no. We just offered a four year. Uh, that's the mentality behind this. Is this is not a short term thing. They found this guy, they've done their research and like we're, we're in this. So even my expectation is we are going to, you know, lose some of these games, uh, and it, it might not be too pretty over the course of the next few weeks. I hope I'm wrong here, but there's uh, there's not going to be any weird reactions from from the upper echelons of this club. That there's an expectation that this will take time. Um, and let's not forget, there's a long term contract signed. They're excited about it. He's brought in a whole coaching staff after Potter gutted this team. Um, this is his team now, and this is also a team that has a healthy bank balance. So there is the ability for us to modify in January, as Craig mentioned earlier, and then obviously in the summer summer window as well. So we'll see some change, and, and it's 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 going to be for the better, we all hope. Yeah. Um, let's round off his career with Shakhtar. Uh, he announced he was leaving Sassuolo at the end of 2021 season, uh, moved over to Shakhtar almost immediately, was kind of announced as the new Donetsk manager. Um, and won the Ukrainian Super Cup against Dynamo Kiev uh, pretty much immediately. Um, first Italian to ever do that, which uh, is a random stat, but I don't imagine there's a huge amount of Italians in the Ukrainian Premier League anyway. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, Putin's war and invasion uh, slash tactical military operation or whatever he pretends it is uh, 
interrupted proceedings um, and he left, well, the, the, the league disbanded basically uh, for a period of time. Um, and he left them top of the league, uh, something they hadn't been for a little while. Um, and a lot of his uh, his ethos really just transferred straight over from Sassuolo, uh, as did, as Adam said, one or two personnel as well. Um, he he had an awful lot more teams uh, that viewed Shakhtar as a cup final every week, right? So you're playing against the, the biggest or second biggest team in Ukraine. A lot of those teams viewed it as their 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 big day out right in Shakhtar uh, and he handled them pretty easily uh, very his his style just suited what was going on there looked very good Champions League not so great uh, he struggled a little bit there uh, with the with the bigger teams um, which then again begs the question how how is he going to adapt to to Premier League ball um, with a lot of teams that play a lot of pressing football a lot of very physical quick uh stuff um it's going to be really interesting to see what he does and how he adapts um but i put together like a little like tldr at the end here for anybody who wants to skip all this shit uh, and understand exactly what albion fans can expect uh and add anything on here if i've missed it a pretty much full-time reversion to four at the back a total overhaul in the way you look at fullbacks doing the work in this in this albion team uh, not going to be the same fullbacks you saw in the in in the Potter era. Uh, a return of wingers and reliance on wingers, which is something we haven't seen in many a year now. Uh, probably more of the same counter-attacking aches and pains. A much increased arrogance on the ball. A lot less instances of fans saying shoot. And a little bit of pet ball. Uh, Pep Guardiola ball in in the mix as well. Um, a lot of Pep's new structures over the last twelve months have imitated Deserbi's experiments at Sassuolo. Um, he's had the you know the luxury of having Manchester City at his disposal, uh, which is nice. Um, you know, I've, I've pretty much I think I've heard uh, Pep say that he uh, Harland reminds him of a young Caputo. Um, so you should probably see something pretty similar. No, I'm joking. Obviously not. Uh, and yeah, expect more of that kind of once he gets bedded in and sorted out and we've got through January world cups over and you're really starting to see that team take shape. You're probably going to start seeing on occasion more of that groundbreaking wild stuff that, that possibly the footballing world has never seen before uh, from Deserby which is something that has been a bit of a staple to rise Simon Italy. If I'll, I'll do a brief summary, but mine is completely stolen. Um, James, James Horncastle, the, the Serie A journalist predominantly uh, was asked about his thoughts. And he's done a bunch of decent articles, by the way, and, and stuff like that. But his tweet about when someone says, deserve it at Brighton, what, what should we expect? One sentence, prepare for Brighton to invite pressure and play through it with elaborate passing patterns. So that's that's what we're going to see. Um, and this is <laughs> the only other thing I'll say just for context is this is a guy who uh, once bailed on a press conference, a post-match press conference in, in Serie A to, um, with Sky Italia because he wanted to go home and watch Bielsa's Leeds play on TV. Um, and he got a lot of bad press about that. So this is a guy that's like proper brain trust tactics. There's that picture out there with him sat around with Guardiola and a bunch of the other sort of 
tactical minds out there as well. And and I think De Rossi and a bunch of other people. Oh, he's in there. Yeah, Kolarov was there. Why not? Um, but to me, outside of all the pep comparisons and everything else like that, and for bad and for good, I think we'll see a bit more Bielsa here. Um, because what, what were Leeds famous for in their first season under Bielsa? Chaos. Like that chaotic, like, what's the scoreline going to be? I don't know. Let's see what happens. But they were fun to watch. Now, that's hopefully it's going to be a more contained version of that. And he's taken inspiration from the things that Bielsa has done well, but has a bit more of a formalized process behind it. But prepare for a bit of chaos as well. It's just going to be, I mean, we've said exciting. It's just going to be fun. I, I think it's just, there's those sort of things and, you know, the character of the ears and the, the quality team at his disposal as well. There is going to be some, like you said, some carnage and some some fun to be had there. So um, just worth noting, you know, we have 10 games until the World Cup. Let's not, <laughs> let's not expect too much, but let's, let's just see how this, how this team starts to bed in. But uh, yeah, if you're not excited, then you, you should be, because I, I think it's just going to be a, a lot of fun. Just final note on uh, on his character, and I'm, I am just ripping this straight away from a news article. Because <laughs> um, it's really it's really interesting, though, like just how good of a dude this guy is. Uh, he refused to leave the Ukrainian capital before all of his overseas players have been taken care of and found their way across the border. Um, he had no interest. Um, literally like captain on a sinking ship. Um, uh, he stayed all the way through, slept on the floor of a hotel, did whatever he needed to do, um, had no problems. He was talking to journalists and saying he was routinely woken up by bombs. Like this guy is like no joke. Like this guy is a hard, hard ass. Like he's he's not to be messed about with. Um, and you're going to see that on the sidelines too. Uh, probably a little bit that Jesse Marsh slash Bielsa uh, fiery kind of passion. Um, but it's really interesting. You should go Google it. Just his exit from Shakhtar. Um, again, like it just goes to show what a good person he is. Um, he, I mean, he quite literally risked his life to ensure that his players got out of that country before he did uh, in a manner he deemed satisfactory, um, which is just, I mean, that's wild, isn't it? Uh, he had, he had, I believe the Italian embassy basically like called him and like, short of begging him to just come to the embassy and get the F out. Uh, and he told them twice, no, like he's staying until the job is done. Um, which is just mental, really. It's hard not to like a guy who's, who's, who's that morally good. Yeah, but Graham Sunes told me he's not very committed. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Mr. Sunes of all people. Uh, interesting. Um, that about covers to Zerbi ball. Uh, I know you've all probably, like I said, consumed about 18 different outlets of this, but we'd be remiss if we weren't the 19. Um, so I hope you've all enjoyed it. Uh, for those that don't don't kind of consume a huge amount of other Brighton podcasts and media, I hope that you've learned a bunch more stuff about Deserby than you knew about uh, before turning on the show. Um, do you guys have anything else to to add? Well, good for me. I think we've think we've done it. And now we've just got to see the guy do his thing, huh? Let's see what happens. First up, Liverpool. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's hope Prince Boateng was right and he is better than Klopp. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're a Liverpool team that are very low on confidence right now. Uh, very fragile, um, especially at home. Uh, and this is a team that are... 
as Craig said, there's going to be a lot of players wanting to advertise themselves to their new man, right? That, that they can do what he's asking them to do early days. Um, it's going to be a very interesting uh, game on, on Saturday. It's going to be a very interesting operation. Oh, can I leave you and the listeners maybe with one hypothetical that is relatively unfair? Um, there's obviously Potter's not, it's not been popular with the fans that move overall um, at Chelsea. Uh, if Potter doesn't work out and let's say he just gets fired, I don't think you will, but let's say he gets fired. Does Erby doesn't work out here. You ever see Potter coming back? I think you do. Wait, it's just there. Uh... Like I said, I think there's there's still some slightly open wounds from from the way he left and stuff like that. I don't think that's gonna I think that's gonna evaporate anytime soon. But like you say, a purely hypothetical. I I don't think it would happen. Yeah, I think I think when you hear Tony Bloom say something like, "I'm very disappointed he left in a press conference." Uh, I mean, for Tony Bloom, if you like put that through a normal person translator, it's like I was ready to blow his brains out. I'm so <laughs> angry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel I feel like I feel like that wound is slightly more fresh uh, and open than than Tony will ever admit to. Uh, to me, I, I don't. Plus, I don't. I don't think you ever go back. I don't think there's any reason. I don't think there's any reason to. I don't think there's any reason to. Um, he can go do whatever he wants to do. Uh, but I think he'll be given the season at least as well. Like you say, I don't yeah. think he'll be going anywhere until the end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just just a thought. That's all. What about you? Would you take him back? Yeah. Yeah, Would absolutely. You? If things didn't work out, well, I mean, he left the club in a better place than he started. Uh, outside of the the way of the exit worked, um, I can't hate him. Necess- for me, I can't hate him for taking a, a job that is, you know, somewhat pinnacle of, of what you try and do for, as a manager. Um, and the, the other guys that left with Bruno and co., Sad, but again, I looked at this and looked at an opportunity to go and be a part of a, a side with pseudo and limited money playing in the Champions League. That's kind of what you work for. I think loyalty at this point, in many ways, these guys aren't fans, these are jobs. Um, and people only stick in these jobs if they don't have better options for the most part. Um, so I don't judge him too harshly, and I think he's a very capable manager and fit in here great. So, yeah, my hope though is that. He f- does all right at Chelsea and he's fine, but Deserby does amazing here. It's more just if it didn't work out and things went the opposite way, would would I take him back? Yeah, I would. Do you yeah. think Bloom would though? Yeah, I don't know. It's the ultimate question. Depends who else is out yeah. there and what the options are. But more likely being that if he doesn't work out at Chelsea, I think his name then gets probably crossed off for the England job, doesn't it? Even if Southgate is gone. So it's hard to say. It's too many hypotheticals, too many parallel universes. Yeah, well, you asked. No, no, I've, I've confused myself. It's, it's an unfair question, Adam. Unbelievable. You have to, you'll have to stump up three million pounds a year as well to have him back. So, nah. Yeah. After that, he's, he's after he's killed his career at Chelsea. A little bit, he's got to <laughs> take the pay cut again. This is his penance. Yeah, <laughs> pay him less. Yeah, yeah. It takes half. Takes half. Um, yeah. All right. Well, Oof. have a wonderful rest of your week, fellas. Uh, FIFA twenty three out this week for anybody who wants to get on the, get in there. Uh, I will be uh, unapologetic in it. Um, so we will be back next weekend. Uh, well, it will just be Adam and Craig next weekend. Uh, I will be unavailable. So we'll be back next weekend to discuss Liverpool uh, day one. 
a Roberto Deservey ball uh, at Anfield. <laughs> no pressure against a, against a <laughs> Liverpool team in much need of revival. Um, so whew, that's going to be an interesting uh, clash. But have a wonderful rest of your week, everybody. Uh, stay safe out there. Cheers all. Cheers all.